Have you ever had to walk through a particularly difficult circumstance? God's plans for you are not always easy. In fact, they're often very challenging. That's why you need to know some important lessons from Jesus' example. You need to understand, as Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, that what comes to you is from God's hand and is God's will. Learning that lesson helps you accept what comes with a sense of peace. Here's Stephen Davy. Now, as we sail back into the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus has just finished praying what we call the great high priestly prayer in John 17. He's also been praying alone in the garden. And with that now concluded, Jesus announces to his disciples that the soldiers are on their way. And sure enough, Judas appears, comes right around the corner with 600 soldiers, and they rush into the garden to identify and arrest Jesus. Now, when Jesus steps forward and asks the question, whom do you seek? Here in John chapter 18 and verse 4, they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. We've talked about this. Ego a me. Literally, I am. That was the great name of Jehovah God given all the way back in Exodus to Moses at the burning bush 1,500 years earlier. Moses asked God, well, what's your name? And God's answer was, I am. So Jesus is effectively announcing here that the one who had spoken to Moses back at that burning bush is now standing before them in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me just say it again, beloved. Jesus is in command here. Nobody's taking his life away. He's choosing to give it away. He's not hiding here in the garden. He's, he's revealing himself. He's not cowering. He's in command. And, and let me tell you, he's helping this group of frightened soldiers take him into custody. Now, as the arresting party pick themselves up off the ground, here's what happens next. Jesus says in verse 8, if you seek me, then let these men go. See, Jesus is going to make sure that there, there won't be 11 crosses there on Golgotha, just his. Now, none of the disciples will die along with him. In fact, John points out in verse 9 that this is a fulfillment of Jesus' words back in John 17, verse 12, that, that they'll survive this event. They'll all live. Now, Peter, who's been standing nearby, taking this all in, he, he decides it's time to take a little action. So in verse 10, we read, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, either Malchus was quick enough to duck, or uh, Peter's aim was a little off. Now, by the way, we often highlight the cowardice of Peter later on in the courtyard, but we rarely talk about Peter's courage here in the garden. But I got to tell you, I'm not sure what Peter's thinking here. Uh, perhaps he thought that if he, you know, if he got into deep enough trouble, well, Jesus could just knock everybody over again. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe Peter's swinging his sword and and he cuts off the servant's ear and thinks he can run fast enough away. Well, just try to imagine this scene. 
The servant is suddenly struck. He screams in pain. Blood is pouring through his fingers as he clutches the side of his head. No doubt 600 soldiers immediately unsheathe their swords and move toward Peter, probably to execute him on the spot. Now what? Well, if you go back to Matthew's record of what happens here in chapter 26, he tells us in verse 52 that Jesus immediately steps forward and commands Peter, put your sword back into its place. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? That's 72,000 angels, by the way. And let me tell you, beloved, 72,000 angels would swoop down in an instant to save their creator and master. But Jesus, he doesn't want to be rescued here. He's come to earth for this very purpose, to die and to become our redeemer. One author wrote, Peter fought the wrong enemy. He used the wrong weapon. He had the wrong motive, and he accomplished the wrong result. Now, all four gospel accounts tell us that Peter literally cut off the servant's ear, but it's only Dr. Luke in his account over here in chapter 22 and verse 51 records that Jesus touched his ear and healed him. The noun Luke uses here for ear literally refers to the place of his ear. You could rather woodenly translate it, Jesus touched where had been his ear. That's how Luke writes it. And I want to point this out so that we don't overlook an amazing miracle here. Jesus doesn't, you know, look around in the dirt and pick up this severed ear and reattach it. No, he touches the side of this man's head and a new ear suddenly appears in its place. This isn't, you know, some medical, you know, surgical reattachment. This is a miracle recreation. And only our creator, God, has the power to create something out of nothing. So just, just imagine this stunning sight. There, there's Malchus's severed ear still lying down there on the ground, but he suddenly has a brand new right ear. Furthermore, there's, there's no more bleeding. There's no more pain. And, and I've got to just stop and wonder, by the way, about, about the future of this servant named Malchus. He's a temple assistant. I wonder if his boss, the high priest, forbade him to speak of this matter. I wonder if he was pressured into denying it ever happened. I wonder if he was fired from his job. We don't know. But we can be sure that Malchus never forgot this moment, this night, this encounter, this grace, this miracle from the hand of of a carpenter from Galilee, who was indeed the master creator of all things. Now, I want to point out the underlying perspective of Jesus over here in John's gospel account at chapter 18 and verse 11. Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? 
Again, drinking the cup, as we've learned, speaks of experiencing the suffering of God's wrath. Jesus is referring to all the suffering that he's about to experience. Physical suffering, yes, but more so spiritual suffering. He becomes literally saturated with the sins of the whole world as he dies on the cross for you and me. Has it ever occurred to you that Jesus was able to drink this cup because, as verse 11 tells us, he knew this cup came from the hand of his Father? He knew this was the plan of the triune God at work. I wonder if today you might be in a very deep valley. Maybe you've been betrayed. Maybe you've been rejected. Maybe you're suffering in some way right now. Don't be afraid. Your heavenly Father knows everything about where you are. He knows why. He knows why he's allowed this in your life, and he knows best. And listen, beloved, accepting what God unveils for you in your life today is going to have an immediate uh, internal impact in your heart and life. Jesus gave this promise back in chapter 14 and verse 27. You may remember that text piece, I leave with you. My peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So go back for a moment and take another look inside this garden scene. For the soldiers, for the mob, it is, it is pandemonium. For the disciples, oh, it's, it's utter panic. But for Jesus, oh, don't miss it. There's perfect peace. I wonder what best describes your heart today, pandemonium, panic, or peace? You know, most people today think that if you have peace when, you know, everyone around you is is panicking, then you must not fully understand the problem. Well, that's not true for Christians. We understand the problems. We understand that following Christ doesn't eliminate difficulty. We, we also know that his peace can be experienced in the midst of the storms of life. So what cup has the Father given you today? What has he allowed to just sort of plow into the traffic pattern of your life out of nowhere? Well, I received a letter from a woman recently whose husband had left her, not not for another woman, but for another man. What made it even more devastating to her was to learn that 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 same evening, the other man happened to be her father. Unknown to her, this had been going on some time between her husband and her father. And so in in just one evening, her world fell apart. She wrote me in her letter that she'd begun visiting our church and was learning all over again what it meant to trust her Heavenly Father, knowing that that even with this cup of suffering, her perfect Father, her Heavenly Father, had not forgotten her. Her groomsmen, her perfect husband, so to speak, had not abandoned her. Let me tell you, beloved, the only way you'll ever be able to drink that kind of cup of suffering is to understand that it arrived with the permission and the plan of your Heavenly Father, trusting that He has a plan for your future and for your good 
and he's ultimately molding you into the image of his son, your savior and redeemer and friend. And a hundred years from now, he will be the only one that matters. Well, we're out of time for today. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, the president of Wisdom International. He called today's lesson, A Mob, A Sword, and the Promise of Peace. This is the Wisdom Journey, where Stephen is teaching through the entire Bible with a new lesson each weekday. I hope you'll make it a habit to follow along each day as we travel through God's Word together. Your journey through life can be a journey of wisdom. So join us next time on The Wisdom Journey.